close. We have a lot of work to do today. I want you to, to really stretch your minds a bit and place yourself into the minds and the hearts of those earliest believers. We do ourselves and Scripture a disservice whenever we read back at it. We look back at it, read it, and then try to drag it into our, our situation. For example, I, I cannot count the number of times I've had people read things such as we're to do everything decently and in order and try then to enforce that upon people sitting in rows facing forward during a, a song. And I'm going, um, you're really, you're, you're butchering Scripture at this stage. We need to go back into Scripture and try to read forward. Remember, Jesus came, hopes soared, and then the cross, hopes collapsed. And then Jesus was back, hopes soared, and then Jesus soared, and a lot of people's hopes collapsed again. Not at first. You see, he'd gone away before, but he was back in three days. Now he's gone away. It is obvious to any reader of the New Testament, if you paid attention as you're reading through, that Christians were unanimous. The writers of the scripture were unanimous in their belief that Jesus would be returning very soon. In fact, Paul had to talk to the people in Thessalonica about that because they got so enthusiastic, they quit work. They quit providing for their families or anything, just thinking, well, he'll, you know, what's the point? He'll be right back. He said, well, yeah, he will, but not work until he gets here. Provide for your family, pay your bills until he gets here. But they were all ready, and oh, were they ready. Put yourself into the Roman Empire of the time. Rome's sinfulness is everywhere. Billboards, the equivalent to billboards, they had them, proclaim Caesar is Lord. Your money has written on there, Caesar is Lord. If you do not join in in the ritualized oaths to Caesar and the gods, you will be ostracized. You may lose your job. You will certainly lose your place in society. You might be isolated socially, economically, politically. And here's a weird thing about all of that. These, these oaths were everywhere. Before sporting events, you had to make oaths to Caesar and oaths to the gods every single time. Before you did business meetings, you did this. Before parties, public gatherings, this was required of you. And some people who did them were atheists and yet would call for persecution against the Christians for not doing it. Why? Because it didn't matter if you truly believed in these gods or not. We're Romans. This is what we do. And Christians would not do those oaths, or most of them would not. And because of this, they were persecuted, they were ostracized, and they were just waiting for Jesus to come back to sort this out quickly. Look where we are. We are suffering. Babies were abandoned routinely. Now, this is a hard one to even talk about, but if you had a baby and didn't want it, and they did do abortions back then uh, through poisons and, and such and rituals, uh, 
But if you had a baby and didn't want it, let's say you wanted a boy but you got a girl, which sadly is what most often happen, you would just abandon the baby. You would just put it out. When the baby died, the bodies would be collected. That was a job. There was a job in Rome for people go around with carts to pick up the dead babies. Do you remember when Paul talks about that if I give my body to be burned and the ashes scattered? He's referring to the way they would burn bodies like this, the abandoned, and use the ashes for fertilizer. People's lives meant nothing. The baths where people would gather were centers of sin and adultery, centers of eating so much that some of them were officially labeled, and the names are still engraved upon them to this day, vomitoriums. Because you would eat so much and drink so much, you'd go to these centers to vomit so that you could go back and do more. That was the way Christians were right in the middle of all of this. Adultery was the favorite indoor sport, and the brutality of the regime was only matched by the brutality of the regimes surrounding Rome. So it's not like you can say, Rome's so awful, I'm leaving, I'm going out. Really? They're the Visigoths, they're the Vandals, they're which other group are you going to? All of them. Christians saw no hope anywhere. Their hope was Jesus is coming back, and yet he delays. So how, how are you going to stay faithful? How do you function? Well, as it happens, they had a place, they had a community called the synagogue, sometimes even the temple. You see, at this time, Christians were looked upon by the Roman government and also by themselves and by their communities as just another stream of Judaism. Because it came from Judaism, it was considered, it's just the Jews. They're doing it a different way, but it's just the Jews. And Judaism was a legal and recognized religion of the empire. It was not a favored religion. It received no protections uh, from the government, but it was not actively, generally, persecuted because it was a legal religion of a subgroup of Rome. Roman rulers tended to make laws they went along, and so sometimes they would persecute the Jews. But to them, Jews and Christians were the same people. So... And by the way, Roman empires weren't, uh, emperors weren't accountable to anybody. Not a senate, nothing, except for the person in the shadows with the knife who wanted to take their place. So government was completely unstable. Everything was awful. Let's look at a timeline of early Christianity. 37 to 41 AD, Caligula breaks faith with the Jews. He begins persecuting them, but not Roman, Rome-wide or empire-wide, it's as he chose. He was mentally ill, and it's amazing how many mentally ill people get to power all over the world, and the rest of us suffer. James, in fact, sometimes I think you have to be mentally ill to want to be a ruler in the world. You know, I don't want to be a ruler of the world because I don't want to be responsible for what you people are doing. Anyway, um, James is killed in 44 A.D., 44 to 46 A.D., Thutis, a false messiah. Do you remember Jesus warned them, there will be many false messiahs, and you will hear rumors, he is there, he is there. Go into the desert to meet him. And he said, don't go. Don't believe it. But people did. Thutis was one. 
He was killed after claiming he would part the Red Sea and Jordan. In 47 AD, Thomas has left us. We, we will not hear from him in the Middle East again, but we can track him. He is headed east. He is taking the gospel east. And several of the apostles left the area about this time. 49 AD, Emperor Claudius had an official report. Since the Jews constantly made disturbances at the instigation of Crestus, that's Christ, Jesus Christ, Emperor Claudius expelled them from Rome, the Jews. Remember, he'd made no uh, distinction between the groups. This is mentioned in your Bibles in Acts chapter 18 and verse 2. And then 50 AD, the Passover riot. Remember, you're all just waiting for Jesus to come back. Took him three days last time. It's been 17 years now, but you're about. We, We can't nail that down, frankly, but about that. So you're thinking, please, please get back. The Passover riot. That's a, it was a Jewish response to how they were treated. The Romans responded by killing 20 to 30,000 of them. It's a mass slaughter. The Romans, by the way, didn't care if they were killing the right people. That wasn't the issue to them. The idea was to establish you don't go against Rome. You do not go against Rome. One of the favorite ways that Rome had of punishing a military unit, for example, that had failed was something called decimation, where they killed every 10th member at random. But it wasn't just that. Every 10th member that was picked was put out there and had to be killed by the remaining nine, by their friends. You have to know Rome is God. They're in charge. That's the world these people lived on. Another um, lived in. Another false prophet leads Jews on a reenactment of the Exodus, and Romans respond by killing over 20,000 of them. 62 AD, James the Just is stoned to death by the high priest of the Jews. What, what are you seeing here? A beginning serious rift between the Jews and the Christians, because whenever the Rome came for one of them, both ended up getting hurt. So they started pulling apart. The high priest, Annas Benatanus, was not allowed to do this but he did it. 64 to 68 AD, after the great fire of Rome, Nero blames the Christians. By the way, that's still a mystery who caused the great fire of Rome. It might have been an accident, but it does look like it was Nero, and it was his minions, and he didn't fiddle while Rome burned. He didn't play a fiddle. He played a harp, so I guess he's off the hook. Anyway, moving on. This is an awful time. They've lost apostles already moving. James has gone west, by the way, to what we would today call Spain and Portugal. uh, Another James, rather. James the Just has been been stoned to death. There, Peter is crucified. Paul is beheaded. Simeon, bishop of Jerusalem, is crucified. Look at um, Eusebius or Eusebius, his Annals of Tacitus. A vast multitude was convicted. Not so much of the crime of incendiarism as of hatred of the human race. Christians were accused of hatred of the human race, and we'll talk about why, but it was mainly because they would not do the sacrifices to, to Caesar. They would not participate 
and the sins of Rome. Therefore, they are hateful people who must be destroyed. People, that happens every day in riots all over the world, and we're seeing it in America, where if you disagree with me, you must be destroyed. Whether verbally and socially, on Twitter and Facebook, or in the streets, this is a dangerous time. And their deaths, they were made the subjects of sport, for they were wrapped in the hides of wild beasts and torn to pieces by dogs. And by the way, this wasn't as a punishment. It was punishment to them. It was as entertainment to their neighbors. They were nailed to crosses, set on fire, and when day declined, were burned to serve for nocturnal lights. If you don't know what that last phrase uh, refers to, Nero used to throw parties where he would dip Christians, sometimes Jews, but mainly Christians, bound, they were alive, into a tar substance, hang them upside down and light them. And that was the lights for his parties. Have you ever imagined such a disregard for human life? 70 AD, Jerusalem is destroyed. Christians have fled. There's the end of semi-autonomous rule. In other words, Jews aren't going to be allowed to decide how to run their lives anymore. They've lost their standing. In 90 AD, a special tax was levied on Jews or on those who lived like them. That was to cover the Christians. In 96, the law is modified so that Jews pay the tax. Christians do not. And what does that do? It increases hostility between the two groups. Next week, we'll take a look at those next two centuries. But what did they do? You might say, did they read their Bible and pray? They didn't have a Bible. They had the Old Testament. A few books were being written by the apostles and others, such as Mark and Luke, who were not apostles. They didn't have much. They continued to meet on Sunday. Why? They couldn't normally now meet in synagogues or the temple, so they couldn't meet on Saturdays. So they were meeting on Sundays, which they, from a very early time, they referred to as the Lord's Day for a variety of reasons, the resurrection being the, the main one. And by the way, I, I'm very well aware there are religious people that have websites that say uh, that Rome changed and it, the day of worship and it's all a sin. God did not say there's one day you have to worship. He said you worship in your life. It's every day. It's as often as you gather. And as we, in our society, thank God, and I'm not saying that lightly, I do thank him, we have a society that does give Sunday a little bit of special breathing room. And so we are able to meet. That's a, that's a fantastic thing. Now, what do they do when they gather? Do you remember Acts 2, 37 through 47? Listen, listen to this. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We know that one. Keep reading. For the promise is for you, to your children, and all who are far off. Now, the children are alive in the period we're talking. For all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, that's to encourage and teach and move forward, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Hasn't every generation been crooked? The message is still the same. Don't act like the world. 
So those who received his word were baptized, and were added to that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted this, here, here, watch carefully, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So what did they devote themselves to? The apostles' teaching. What was that? Some people will then go and grab things out of 15 different books in the New Testament. They didn't have that. What was the teaching? That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Act accordingly. That was the teaching. That's the only teaching they had. And they gathered often for what we call communion, Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. It wasn't just Sunday. It was as often as they gathered, but absolutely on Sunday. All came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs are being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. Notice, notice that. All who believed. What did they believe in? They only had a little bit to know. Jesus is the Son of God. Those who believed were together, had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, I need to stop there. I taught this once, way back in the day, down in a state. I won't name the state. It's just, it's to the south of us. There's only one. Uh, but I was uh, an unmarried fellow traveling through, and I taught, uh, they asked me to preach at this one place. I did. They didn't have elders at this church, but they had two men that ran it. And they pulled me off to the side and said, buddy, are you a communist? Well, I'd already been called a Yankee several times, even though my people weren't here during that, so <clears throat> that's all on you. Um, I, uh, and so I, I wasn't, and they really got on this. And I said, no, the difference between socialism and communism and this is that this is the action of individual hearts acting in community. It is not because law required that it take from one to give to the other. We give, and we should impoverish ourselves giving to each other, making sure nobody in our area, nobody among us goes hungry or weak. The reason we have so much, so many social programs, I truly believe, is because the church has failed to do this. And when the church fails, it creates a vacuum, and government sweeps in, and it's our fault. Now, that's not political. It's not left or right, because I can preach against left and right pretty easy. Not real keen about the middle either, frankly, but we need to be Christian. Day by day, attending the temple, they're still allowed then, together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. That will change. And the Lord added to their number day by day those being saved. That's exactly how they behaved. Justin Martyr, an early Christian born around 100 AD, wrote to Emperor Antonius or Antonius Pius this. They, by the way, the, the emperor was opposed to Christians. So Justin Martyr wrote him this. We formerly rejoiced in uncleanness of life, but now love only chastity. Before, we use the magic arts, but now dedicate ourselves to the true and unbegotten God. Before, we loved money and possessions more than anything, but now we share what we have with and to everyone who is in need. Before, we hated one another and killed one another and would not eat with those of another race. 
But now, since the manifestation of Christ, we have come to a common life and pray for our enemies and try to win over those who hate us without just cause. That's how they define themselves. Isn't that fascinating? When I was a boy, we had a track rack. Now, some here know exactly what I'm talking about. Others do not. This was a little literature uh, bit of wood with shelves in it that had little brochures or brochures in it uh, that uh, would talk about different bits of our doctrine and history. You know, what is the Church of Christ? Uh, why we're number one? Any of that sort of thing. And, and sometimes, and there is one very, very popular one that says, introducing the Church of Christ. You open it up, and it had scriptures all over it saying, we do this, bunch of scriptures. We do this, bunch of scriptures. We, this is how we are defined. The problem is, they couldn't have done that for 300 plus years. In fact, they couldn't have done that until the 1700s when it was more common that people could actually own a Bible and look at it and understand what it said. I mean, Bibles are cheap today. You might think not if you just bought one for 50 bucks or something, but it, only kings had them before the 1700s. It was, it was brutal trying to get a, a whole copy of Scripture. So what did they believe in? Justin Martyr says, this is how you know who we are. We elevate Christ. We share with everyone. We don't kill anybody. We're not an unclean people. Instead, those we used to hate, we love, and we try to win over those who still hate us. We give. We're generous people. That's how they defined who they were. Justin Martyr, in another place, pointed out that those opposed to Christianity were often won over when they saw the consistency of love, grace, service, kindness, and sacrifice of the Christians. When the people saw how devoted they were, and how they were patient and kind, even when they were cheated and mistreated. How they did not curse the emperor, even as they stood waiting to be killed by wild beasts. Even as they watched their children die with them, they did not curse the emperor. Now, I get unfriended sometimes, which I'm actually pretty cool with. And I was challenged by an email this week that I had not hopped on a particular political thing. And I won't go any more specific because I don't want to identify the political thing. My, uh, I, I didn't respond. I, I just, I don't respond to these things. I, I, don't, I don't feed these things. An, an old man once said, a bulldog can win a fight with a skunk, but it's not worth it. <laughs> just, let it go. It astounds me, humbles me, and teaches me, informs me that none of these led a march against the government. None of them said, fight back. They just said, you be Christian. They're responsible for what they do. You're responsible for what you do. If what's going to happen to you is that you're going to die, die well. And die a Christian. Die in faith. Die, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, and I'm told he was actually quoting somebody, and I'm having a hard time nailing that down. If you strike me down, I will love you. If you beat me, I will love you. And if you kill me, I will die loving you. 
That's the way they won over people. Now think about the way we sometimes act around people. We were, I may have told this story before, we were uh, living in Scotland and a minister came over because he wanted to look and survey Scotland and see if he wanted to be uh, a missionary to Scotland and he showed up so we took care of him and he, he took pictures. Now, back in the day, you, didn't ha- you had to f- have pictures of film, and then you had to take it and get it developed. Well, we went to the chemist, Boots the Chemist, where people would take their film, and we went back to get it a couple days later, and they gave him the price, and it was about two and a half times what you'd pay in the States, but that's what we pay there. And he went ballistic, and he started just angry and complaining at this person and going on and on, and I kept trying to interrupt him, but he wasn't, he, he was in a righteous rant. Sub, sub note, rants can't be righteous. I finally grabbed him by the back of his belt and just hauled him out into the hallway. Outside, the, there was a hallway outside. I don't want to go in at all. It was like an indoor shopping arcade, not a mall. And I pulled him out and he was mad and turned on me and he's much bigger than me, but I'm, I'm mean, so I'm okay. Uh, and, and he turned around and he said, before he could take a breath, he said, we will never be able to reach that young girl for Jesus because every time she sees me now, instead of thinking of somebody kind and gentle, she's going to be thinking of you. He got very quiet. And I don't remember the amount, so let me make up something, all right? He said, for $30, you have thrown her soul away. Sometimes I feel like I'm being cheated on a deal okay. I'll love you anyway. Sometimes I feel like I've been mistreated. It's okay. I don't need to fight back. That's how Christians won an empire. And we lost it when we stopped. When we decided now we have our safe churches, we can do what we want to. No, no. Justin Martin said, we are winning through love. As early as 79 AD, and we know this because there was a volcano uh, that erupted. And when they dug out Pompeii, they found crosses with puzzles that are Peter Noster, our father. And there was A and O on the sides. No matter how you read it, it comes out, our father, Alpha and Omega, the Christ, the cross, the prayer. How did they survive in Pompeii, which was an incredibly wicked city? God is our Father. Jesus is the beginning and the end of our faith. That's all they knew. We don't need any other prophets. We don't need prophets from New York, like the Mormons. We don't need prophets from Arabia, like the Muslims. We love the Mormons and the Muslims, but we just don't need their prophet. We have Jesus. He's the beginning, he's the end, that's it. And he'll get us through. Our faith in him will get us through. Christianities, I'm sorry, Christians, in other words, stated their faith in God as Father and Jesus as the Christ, and they lived, this is crucial, they lived as citizens in a new kingdom, even while they lived among the kingdoms. Christians became known as those who cared for the sick, the distressed, the poor, even when the Christians themselves were sick, distressed, and poor. When Roman emperors began to look at Christians as a problem, 
the Jewish leaders of the day stressed that they were not really Jews, and that widened the division between the two and caused mutual persecution, although it must be said that Christians gained power after a few hundred years, and the people in power are the ones that can do the most damage. And in that argument and fight in history, Christians have oppressed and persecuted Jews far more than the Jews did the Christians. We need to be humble and admit that. But driven from safety of being in an improved religion, Christians continued to be who they were. They didn't change. They were a family of faith, a new nation, a community of love given to sacrifice and kindness. By the year 250, Roman records, uh, our official Roman records that still exist, say Christians were feeding 1,500 of the poor and destitute every day from their own hands. Julian the Apostate, that's a Roman emperor who did not like Christians at all, period. And he persecuted them viciously. In the few years he had the chance to do it, he drove them all out of the higher classes. If they ever had a job, he drove them out of that and drove them to the lower caste of society. But he admitted that Christianity, quote, this is his words written uh, by his secretary, Christianity has been specifically advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care of the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the Christians care not only for their own but for ours as well while those who belong to us look in vain for the help we should render them. What an amazing testimony from a man that persecuted Christians. He's like, you know how they're winning. They're, they're, this is their ploy. He did not understand this isn't a ploy. This is our life. This is how we treat people. Christians found themselves without buildings, finances, social, social status, or government approval. But what they did have was a faith that bound them together long before scriptures were bound together. And the evidence that that faith held them together and made them a force to be written, reckoned with is all over history. So, need to do this rather quickly. We can do this. Let's look, uh, have a look at the creeds that kept them alive through the vomitorium, the abandonment of babies, the persecution, the loss of jobs, the death of many of them as, as a spectator sport, and even being burned alive for lights. We looked at them, but I'm now collapsing them because this form will become important next week. There is one God. Jesus is equal to God the Father. He created all things. By the way, I'm not using these as proof text. These, everything that's put up there are the creedal statements we looked at the last two Sundays. These are the statements we know that Christians in the first few centuries repeated as a short version of this is what we believe. But when you put them all together, this is the flow we get. He is above all things in the world and in the church. And it's amazing how many times that shows up in early Christian writings. By the way, if you did not know this, know this now. If every New Testament on the planet were to go away, we could restore all of it except for less than 10 verses from the writings of letters of Christians back and forth to each other because they quoted 
scripture. As soon as they learned it, they quoted it and they shared it. Bits with letters. You know, you'd have a big job on your hands. But the fact is, these creedal statements went everywhere. Next, he appeared in the flesh. He died for our sins. Buried and raised on the third day. Forgiveness of sins is now ours. He ascended to heaven. And now, not later, now we are sharing in the inheritance of Christ. That's what kept them going. Not precision obedience in all matters of worship. Not they knew everything about the Trinity and had the, the Holy Spirit nailed down and understood. Not they knew when to clap and when not to clap. None of this. It was central, we believe, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And these creedal statements held them together. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the world is now a post-Christian society. If you are married to your first mate and you raise children that live with you and now have grown to go on or they still live with you, you are in the minority of the population in the U.S., and it is a minority that is shrinking. If you build your churches around family, that's going to be an issue. If you build your churches around this is the way we worship and we worship the way God likes it, you're going to lose. But if you center upon Christ and live as a person of the new community, a new nation, strangers in this world, we will not only survive, but even if we die, Christ will grow in the hearts of others. Let's stand, please. When we say we believe, do we dare look at what those, that meant to those saying those words when the port trellis would open up and here would come the lions? They shared their goods without hesitation, knowing that they had lost their job and no more goods were coming in to replace what they shared. They cared for their enemies as their enemies hunted them. They separated themselves from the concerns of this world. As Paul said, no good soldier entangles himself with the affairs of the world. Instead, they focused on Christ and those Christ loves which means all humans everywhere. If they can do it under those circumstances, we can do it now.